Property investing is a series of cuts. You bleed a lot because holding on to real estate for a long time is bad tenants, it's rent missing, it's property maintenance. It is a whole bunch of messy stuff that goes on for a long period of time that feels like you're getting smacked around in the face. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. And today on the podcast, we are discussing holding real estate. Yes, holding real estate. I'll tell you what, before you switch off, because I know that topic sounds bloody boring, it is not going to be. Let me assure you, we're going to learn some real fundamentals around wealth how to keep wealth, how to control wealth, and how to map out an economic future for yourself, which will end up you living off passive income. Holding wealth is so important. It's actually more important than building wealth. I think a lot of the conversations around real estate are wealth building conversations. In fact, too much emphasis is probably put on the idea of buying real estate, subdividing it, renovating it, adding value, getting a discount. This is what we call the build phase of the journey. The build phase of the journey is a big component of wealth creation. And as we know the concept, the most normal way to make money out of real estate is what is called a buy and hold strategy. When you do a normal strategy, you cannot expect abnormal returns. A normal strategy of buy and hold is actually a long-term wealth creation principle. So, so many people get one part of the puzzle wrong. And I don't think people get the the buying phase wrong, the building phase. You can't go too wrong. Even if you pay a little bit too much for real estate on the day, You can't go wrong if you're going to hold. And the holding part of the puzzle, the big part of the economic dynamic of being a great property investor is how to go about holding real estate for a very long time. Now, think about how long you may have held a property for. What is the longest period of time you have held a property for? Is it five years, 10 years, 20 years? Is it 30 years? And I tell you what, when you do meet a property investor who has held real estate for 30 years or longer, you will be blown away at just how valuable their property is, but even more importantly, just how much rent they're able to get out of a property after holding it for 30 years. From the time they purchased it to the time that you revisit it 30 years later, that cash flow is hot, hot. I am telling you, I have early mentors that bought real estate for a can of Coke, a can of Coke in places like Kirribilli, a can of Coke, a couple of bucks, $100,000, that kind of money that today are getting $1,100 a week rent 
from a property in Kiribati, or actually three properties in Kiribati, $1,100 each. So all of a sudden, holding real estate is a big part of the puzzle because all of your wealth is actually what you keep. On the journey, you're going to go through phases, and I want to explain the phases to you. For real estate investors, there are three phases to investing. The first phase is your build phase. And this is where most of the media, most of the conversations highlighted around building wealth. If you look at videos, if you look at seminars, if you read books, most of them are centered around building wealth. And really building wealth is the accumulation of assets. In other words, you're buying a property, and you want it to do really well so you can go buy another property and you can compound your investments to finally end up with enough assets to take you through to retirement. How do we determine how many assets we need? Well, it's a number. That's the magic number. And I've got to ask you, what's your magic number? Because if you don't know it, there's your first problem when it comes to holding real estate. Most people I coach, now this is just for me, most people I coach, the magic number is $100,000 passive income. People want to live of $100,000 passive income. Here's the mathematics. On a 5% return, which is fairly normal for a property investor to get these days, you need $2 million worth of real estate paid off to live off $100,000 passive income. So you've got to get started and you need to crack on because to accumulate $2 million worth of real estate today is difficult. You've got to build the wealth. But then you go into the second phase. The second phase is holding on to wealth. Holding on to wealth is a strategy in itself. Why it is not taught that often is most people do not get paid for coaching you to hold wealth. Most people get paid for selling you properties or finding you properties. Holding wealth is something which is very difficult to do. Now, I'll go back to the original question. How long have you held the longest property for in your portfolio? I'm not talking about your family home. I'm talking about your investment. Most property investors are not into their 20th or 30th year. In fact, statistics tell us that a lot of people tap out of real estate after owning it for less than six years. They move the property on. They get rid of it. There is a lot of data in that statement. People get rid of real estate within six years of owning it as an investment. Why? They've bought it. They've controlled it. They've got it to a point where it's about to change and grow, but they release it. Now... I've got a lot of data on this. Most people, when they buy real estate, they fix themselves into interest-only loans. And if their rents don't increase, 
If their property value doesn't increase, they don't know what to do with the property when it goes from an interest-only loan to an interest and principal loan. All of a sudden, money's coming out of their back pocket and they are stuck. All of a sudden, they're feeding a property more than they actually are earning themselves. They jam themselves and they get out. They don't keep wealth. The average person you speak to who owns two properties is going to let one go in a short period of time because they cannot hold wealth. So you guys ready to hear about holding wealth? I'm ready to tell you about holding wealth because to me it is the most important part of the entire puzzle. Remember, there are three phases to the concept of a property investor. First phase, building. Sometimes we call that accumulation or acquisition. Second phase, holding or keeping. Last phase, lifestyle or living off passive income. You have to transition over a very long period of time, 20 years, to go from buying a property to living off its income. It's the bit in the middle which is the tough bit. And here's the real truth about humans. Humans are not designed to bleed. Humans are not designed to hurt. When we hurt, we let go. Property investing is a series of cuts. You bleed a lot because holding on to real estate for a long time is bad tenants. It's rent missing. It's property maintenance. It's finance conversations. It's borrowing money. It's refinancing. It is a whole bunch of messy stuff that goes on for a long period of time that feels like you're getting smacked around in the face. And no one likes getting smacked around in the face. I remember when Big George in the schoolyard smacked me around in the face. I didn't like it. So now most people who are property investors don't like Big George slapping them. But that's the property market. The property market is Big George. So we've got to get through this and to understand it, I teach what is known as the hold triad. The hold triad. The whole triad has three parts of the puzzle like any good triad. Today on this episode, I'm going to teach you two parts of the puzzle and I will come back again and teach you a third part, the final part. But today, I think to begin the conversation, to understand how to carry wealth for a long time, we have to start with tenants. Yes, tenants. Obviously, when you rent out a property as an investor, you have tenants. And tenants are a big part of your wealth. Your wealth is actually associated with the people you surround yourself with. You can surround yourself with very motivating people, but if you have tenants who are broke, your wealth is trapped. Along the journey of owning real estate, one of the big key lessons is understanding demographics. When we think about demographics, quite often it's used in a build concept. When you're talking about buying real estate, we often talk about demographics of the neighbourhood, demographics of the urban energy of, of, of the streets. We talk about downsizers and upgraders and we talk about 
dinks and uh, nettles and all these terminologies that really make up the demographic underbelly of society. But demographics is really important in the hold phase. Who are you renting your property to? Are they going to increase their wealth on your journey? Now think about that statement for a minute. Are your tenants going to increase their wealth on your property journey? Now you might be shaking your head or scratching your nose or whatever you might be doing, thinking, what the hell does he mean? Why does it matter if my tenant's wealth is going to increase? Well, here's the thing. There are 2.1 million tenants in Australia. 2.1 million people. Just have a bit of water. 2.1 million people who are tenants. Now, as a property investor, that sounds sweet. I've got a big mass market of people to rent my property to. On the surface, you're absolutely correct. 2.1 million people is a lot of people to rent properties to. And I tell you what, if you are a property investor, at the bare minimum, you will find someone to rent your property. But here's the thing. Out of the 2.1 million people, 30%, or one-third, let's call it one-third, are broke. They're broke. The Productivity Commission, which is a big commission that follows wage uh, dynamics in Australia, shows that one-third of tenants are broke. They have no money after they pay you rent. They have as little as $200 in the bank after they pay you rent. Now, why is this important? This is so important, I can't stress. You've got to hold this piece of real estate for 30 years, for 20 years. So how are you going to do it if your tenants are broke? Well, the first rule of holding real estate is to not buy real estate where broke tenants hang out. And we want in our real estate tenants whose income is going to grow. If tenants' income grows, then guess what? You can put the rents up. When you can put the rents up, it means you've got more cash flow to balance and hold real estate longer. If you own a piece of real estate and you're stuck and your rents are not improving or growing or you're not able to put them up at a consistent level, if you can't do the $10 or $20 a week and then one big jump of $50 a week every five years, all of a sudden you have a problem. The problem, of course, is your property investment is not growing. And because it's not growing and there's not enough cash flow coming in, this is where people can't hold on to wealth. They pass it on. They get rid of their property because all of a sudden they're not seeing income growth. Income growth in real estate is a must. If you want to hold real estate for 20 years, and I'm talking going from buying something today at $500,000 and seeing yourself get a rent of $1,200 a week 20 years from now, you have to align yourself with the right 
demographic of people in society. Without having the right demographic of people in society, you're going to struggle. Your asset's not going to grow. If you're renting properties to the half a week away from broke tenant marketplace, you're in trouble because they don't have any more money. Think about the inequality in Australia today, the inequality in New Zealand. All of a sudden, the challenge with people is they're not earning more income. Coronavirus took care of that. You think people are getting a pay rise? Absolutely not. So all of a sudden, many parts of society are struggling. One third of society today is going through an inequality challenge. So what kind of personas do we look for? Well, that's interesting, right? Because we're studying demographics here. We've got the whole part of the puzzle lined up. We've got the tenants. We know we need tenants. We know we need to be a property investor. Well, Roy Morgan puts out a great report on personas. There are 54 different personas of people in Australia and New Zealand. 54 different types of people. They are different consumers. They all consume differently, but out of the 54 different consumers, they are actually broken into six different groups. Of the six different groups, four of the groups are tenants we would love to have in our property investments, and two of the groups are tenants we would not want to have in our property investments. The two tenant groups we would not want to have in our property investments are groups where they are half a week away from being broke. They've got a couple of hundred bucks in the bank and because they're broke, they are not going to grow with your asset. So if they're clustered around a certain area where your property is, you're going to struggle. However, conversely, we can go out and find groups which are going to get pay rises, they're aspirational, they want to get ahead in life, they're investors themselves, they've got money, they've got attitude, and they will pay you more for your investment into the future. In fact, your wealth, if linked to them, will actually grow. They are your seed investment. They are actually your seed that becomes a flower. So who are the personas? Well, I'm going to run you through them. There are six personas. The first persona is known as the leading lifestylers. Leading lifestylers are all about living life. So they live in lifestyle areas. They're living on the beach. They're living in the cool urban pocket close to the city. They're living next to the bushwalks. They're living in the prized locations of real estate. The leading lifestyle group it's all about that idea of livability livability if you can find a livable suburb odds are the leading lifestylers are there they want to pay you more rent for our lifestyle and that is so important because as society grows lifestyle trends are growing as well and people are opting to pay more for lifestyle the second group is the metro tax Metro tax is a big, big part of future growth. I bet a lot of my hold strategy and my build strategy on metro tax. Metro tax are the knowledge worker within the economy. The knowledge worker is a big part of future economics. We are living in the fourth industrial economy. 
We are living in a time where a digital revolution is unfolding. Metro tax are knowledge workers. They are skilled. They are cool. Their life looks like they're out of a beer commercial. They live at large and they rent big. And because they earn well, they pay good rent. Because they pay good rent, they are fantastic tenants. Now, if you want to retire on income, you need income. You can't mess about with a couple of hundred bucks a week here or there. The Metro Techs pay in the thousands for rent. They earn $20,000 a month, so $5,000 a month on rent ain't a problem. The trick, of course, is to find out how do you buy a property where the Metro Techs are going to go Da, 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 which of course is building, not holding. What I'm saying today is you want to create a property in your build plan that you end up holding to a leading lifestyler or a metro tech. The third part of the puzzle or the third dynamic or group you can look at is the aspirationals. Aspirationals are up and comers who think differently, who want to be uh successful, who are on the verge of cracking the code of becoming absolutely great in life. Aspirationals will pay more rent because they will want to be seen to be aspirational. People who are not aspirational obviously don't have the metric of the aspirational. The aspirational is kind of a hybrid of the metro tech and the leading lifestyle demographic a great person to rent. You often find the aspirationals living in those middle or inner ring neighbourhoods of cities. They want to be close to the action. They want to be with the pulse and they're making some pretty good coins so you know you can put the rent up on those people. The final good demographic is what we call hearth and home. Yes, hearth. Get the Oxford Dictionary if you don't know what it means. Hearth and home. Hearth and home people are those people who love going to Bunnings. They love working on their home. They love staying at home. They live in really good suburbs. They look after their house. They're house proud. They mow the lawns all the time. I actually hate hearth and home people, but they make very good tenants. Hearth and home people use whippersnippers and leaf blowers. If you've ever had the leaf blower go off at 7am in the morning, it's a hearth and home. You do want to kick them, you do want to punch them, you wish they would shut up. But I tell you what, they are wealthy, they make tenants, they're good people, they're responsible, they earn, they are creative, they are a good source of your income for the future. You want these people as tenants, you want to put the rent up on them, you want them living in your neighbourhood and you want to make passive income from them. Remember, you're betting on people. See, here's what people don't realise about real estate. Real estate is not just about place. It is not just about property. It's actually about the people who live in the property. And of course, the people who live in the property are a big component of your wealth creation. If you want to hold real estate for longer, you have to create more income from people. If the people in your neighbourhood are the right people, given time, you will be able to create more income from them. 
So who are the people we don't want as our tenants? Now, I want to caveat this because I'll probably get some hate mail that people are all good. Human beings are beautiful. Human beings deserve respect. And I'm not trying to belittle or sabotage anybody. Everyone needs a go. But it's your wealth we're talking about, and I'm serious about you. You want to be renting your properties to the leading lifestyles, the Metrotex, the Aspirationals, and the Hearth and Homers. You don't want to be renting to two groups that are known as the Fair Go and the Doing Fines. Now, let me explain the Fair Goers and Doing Fines. The Fair Goers are the group of people who complain that if they just got a fair go, life would be better. Oh, mate, I just want a fair go. Why can't I get a fair go? You know who that is. You know who that is. That group is really socially impacted. And I shouldn't make fun, but I'm just trying to point out, you've got to worry about that group because they're not going to earn any more income. They're struggling to survive. Inequality in Australia is real and it's sad. And I'm a fighter of quality. I'm a fighter of creating more equity in society. And I don't like people going through a rough trot. But when someone is half a week away from being broke and they're my tenant, I need to be concerned because when they can't pay the rent, I have to dig into my pocket to take from my family to make up the difference of the shortfall of rent and pay the mortgage. So fair go, you don't want to associate with. And the doing fines, even though the name is doing fine, what that really just references is they feel like they're doing fine, but actually, sadly, they're falling behind the rat race and they're not doing fine whatsoever. The illusion is they're doing fine because they survived the week. Doing fine, ladies and gentlemen, is not surviving the week. Doing fine is working out how to put a large proportion of your income into savings to invest to create a more prosperous future for yourself. When a group has less than $250 left in their bank account, at the end of a week, they're not doing fine. They're struggle street people. And as a property investor, as part of our whole triad, we want to understand the groups we're renting to. Are we attracting a leading lifestyler? Are we renting to an aspirational person? Are we renting to a knowledge worker, MetroTech? If so, great, because that means they're in your neighbourhood. If we've drifted into the wrong part of town, we're going to get the wrong result from rental returns into the future. People's rents won't grow in the wrong place. We'll end the conversation there and continue with part two on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor. Next week, I want to talk to you about the tough times investors are experiencing right now and how to avoid it in the first place, especially in relation to rents and property managers. 
I look forward to having you join me on the next episode of Urban Property Investor as we continue to crack the code of real estate wealth.